So welcome to this episode of the Dental Assistant Nation podcast powered by Ignite DA. My name is Kevin Henry. I'm the co-founder of Ignite DA, as well as the editor-in-chief for drbycuspid.com. And whether you found us through Dr. By Cuspid, Google Play, Amazon, Stitcher, wherever you get your, your podcasts, we're pleased that you joined us. Uh, I am truly excited about this podcast and this interview that I'm getting ready to do because I stumbled across this story and I think it is so apropos not only for our dental industry, but also some of the times that we're living in right now. And I'd love to introduce you all to the author of a, what I, a book I'm excited to dive into. The President is a Sick Man, uh, talking about Grover Cleveland's oral cancer surgery, and that's Matthew Algeo. Matthew, how are you? Good, good. How are you, Kevin? I am great. Thank you Good. so much for taking the time to join us. Would you You're mind welcome. just kind of uh, introducing yourself a little bit to our audience? Sure. Uh, my background is in journalism. I'm a reporter and writer. Uh, I worked in public radio for a long time, and uh, now I uh, I write I write books like one about the secret operation on Grover Cleveland. So that gives you an idea of how best-selling my books are. But um, uh, it's a good, it's a good, uh, it's a good uh, vocation to pursue. My wife is actually a U.S. Foreign Service officer, so we live overseas most of the time. Uh, we're in Sarajevo right now, and uh, so it's a, it's been a really good transportable, um, uh, you know, occupation that I can do all the research when we're back in the states between tours, and then when we go overseas, I I can write these books. So. I'm originally from the Phil. Yeah, it's kind of cool. It, it really worked out well. I'm from Philadelphia originally, and it was actually in a museum in Philadelphia that I kind of first learned about this uh, secret uh, oral surgery that was performed on Grover Cleveland in 1893. And that's because the tumor that they removed from his mouth, one of the doctors saved it, and it's now on display at the Mütter Museum in Philadelphia, which is a medical history museum. And it's a great museum uh, right in Center City in Philadelphia. And so anyway, they have a little glass jar. There's the tumor. I'm a presidential history freak. Uh, I kind of heard about the, uh, the operation, um, but then I started doing research on it. I found out there had never really been anything, you know, a full length book written about the operation. So that's just what got me, got me interested. And that's how I started writing this. And, and again, I cannot wait to dive into this because as a, a history geek myself, I think this is going to be tremendous. But I'm going to kind of set the stage here because if I remember correctly from what I've heard from you in previous interviews, President Cleveland discovered uh, in his second term, I believe it was, that there right. was a, a small uh, growth in his mouth, but it started spreading pretty quickly. Is that correct? Right. So uh, Grover, of course, you're right. He's the one guy who served the two non-consecutive terms. So he was elected in 84, ran for re-election in 88, lost, ran again in 1892, and then won again. So he was inaugurated in March of 1893. Back then, the inaugurations were in March. And it wasn't too long after that that he noticed a rough spot on the roof of his mouth. He said it was on the left side near the molars on the back. Really didn't think much about it. There was a lot going on in the country. The uh, Reading Railroad had just gone bankrupt the same week he was inaugurated, and that triggered a real financial panic in the country. So the economy was kind of tanking. So he was very busy, uh, but this spot became bothersome. And then finally, it wasn't. It was in June uh, that he asked uh, his uh, family physician, his personal doctor, a guy named Joseph Bryant, to take a look at this bump on the roof of his mouth. And Bryant took one look at it. And uh, called it. A, I think he said it was a bad-looking tenant, and uh, said he should be uh, it should be removed immediately. So 
that's why they that's that got the ball rolling then to have this operation to remove this cancerous tumor from the roof of his mouth. But Cleveland wanted it to be secret. He didn't want anybody to know. He was afraid that the economy would collapse, the stock market would crash. And so that was the reason they kind of went forward with it in secrecy. And, you know, one thing that I've heard you talk about in previous interviews is how cancer of any kind back then was really right. uh, such a red flag, even perhaps more than it is in today's society. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, well, it was called the dread disease. It was considered a death sentence, you know. Uh, and just eight years before, uh, Ulysses Grant had died of oral cancer. And, of course, this was very slow, public, excruciating uh, uh, you know, ordeal for Grant and his family. And it was all so very public and Cleveland was kind of a private guy anyway. So he really had no desire to, to go through something like that. And, and cancer, like I said, it was just, it, it was considered a death sentence. Uh, it was the dread disease, the disease that, that the doctors dare not name. Sometimes they wouldn't even use the word in the newspaper. So there was almost a superstition, uh, kind of, a, you know, um, you know, yeah, like a, just this visceral, of feeling antipathy people had towards towards cancer. Wow. And, you know, and so to have the, the surgery, it was not something, obviously, as you said, he was a private man and fearing the economy would go into the tank. Uh, he, he wanted to do it in private. And what he did to make that in private, I think, is, is just such a, such a fascinating tale. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend it, but he decided to have the uh, <laughs> surgery on a boat. He had a friend, a guy named uh, Elias Benedict, who was a tycoon. I think he made his money in uh, natural gas or something. Maybe he made gas meters. But anyway, Benedict had this yacht called the Oneida, very luxurious yacht. And Cleveland often went on fishing trips with Benedict on this boat, the Oneida. So they decided this would be the perfect cover. It would just look like the president's going for a summer fishing trip with his friend, and they arranged to have uh, six doctors, all, all sworn to secrecy. They all agreed to, to perform this operation. Uh, and they, they um, uh, fitted out the boat uh, with all this medical equipment. The crew was told that the president had a dental problem. And so that was the cover story for the crew. And then the boat left from uh, Long Island. I'm sorry, left from uh, uh, the East River in New York on July 1st. Cleveland had a summer home in Massachusetts, so the story was we're going up to uh, his summer home. It was called Gray Gables on Buzzards Bay, and uh, so as they sailed from uh, New York to Massachusetts across Long Island Sound on July 1st, 1893, uh, the operation was performed uh, under deck in, a, in the saloon, uh, basically just like a small living room that they had under the, uh, under the deck of the boat, and, uh, and that's where it all happened. It's amazing to me to think you're doing it on a boat. I mean that that's incredible. And and if I remember right from what you said, the team that was put together, the surgery was done in around ninety minutes. Is that correct? Yes, uh, ninety minutes was was how long the surgery took. They removed two teeth, uh, a good piece of the upper left palate, and also a small piece of his jawbone. Um, so it was pretty radical, extensive surgery uh, for the time and even for today. I uh, actually went to um, uh, uh, Jefferson uh, Medical College in Philadelphia and found a guy there who does these, does these surgeries today, which was kind of a fun um, experience. And he was really kind of blown away by uh, how fast they did it and how much they did in the 90 minutes. 
I think they were really afraid that if anything happened on the boat, I mean, they were very lucky. It was very good weather. It was very calm seas, very flat. You know, obviously, if they'd run into something or if it was stormy seas, it just wouldn't wouldn't have been possible. So I think they really wanted to maximize the time they had and just get it done. And... And, and I don't want to give away too much of the story uh, because, again, I'm looking forward to reading it. But I know that they were trying to keep this so hush-hush, and part of it even involved Grover Cleveland's mustache to make sure that, you know, nothing exterior was right, seen as well. Right, right. So a couple of things. One, he was very famous for his mustache, and uh, so he was loath to have that uh, tampered with or removed. They were able to do the surgery entirely uh, inside the mouth, there were no external incisions uh, or external, you know, uh, yeah, incisions or anything like that made. So there were no scars. There was no outward evidence that this operation had been performed. It was done entirely within the mouth. They had a cheek retractor that they were able to cut away his cheek and pull it back and then get to the get to the area that way. So, and then they just packed up this wound had a big hole now in the roof of his mouth that they packed with gauze and. And, uh, and, uh, they stayed at, at, they stayed at sea, I think for four days until he was well enough that when they did get to Buzzards Bay, that he was able to walk off the boat under his own power. So the reporters who were there, who saw him and they were kept at a distance, but they could see him walking under his own power. (laughs) And, and you're a journalist, I'm a journalist. And so the fact that a journalist actually uncovered that something happened at sea and tried to break the news and then was, as you said, vilified for it. I, I think that's just such another uh, fascinating angle. Of right. Uh, E.J. Edwards was the guy's name. He was a reporter for the Philadelphia Press. And in August, he actually tracked down one of the people who participated, uh, the dentist named Hasbrook. And he Hasbrook uh, um, kind of spilled the beans. And uh, Edwards published the story in the press under the headline, The President, a Very Sick Man. And uh, Cleveland had a reputation for honesty. He was uh, really known to be an honest politician, and he completely denied this report. Uh, the doctor said that uh, Cleveland had it was nothing but a toothache. And they pointed out that he had had two teeth removed, you know, didn't mention that he'd also had a bunch of his palate and part of the jaw taken out, too. But it was true, technically. He he did have two teeth removed. So so the cover story was a bad case of uh, dentistry or a bad dental problem. And uh, yeah, so Edwards, who had this kind of the scoop of the century, uh, was vilified by the Democratic papers. And back then, the papers were very partisan, Democrat and Republican, kind of like cable news now. And so the Democratic papers heaped all this scorn on Edwards. And it really did. It was something that hung over him uh, for the rest of his career, that he, he knew he got it right, but nobody believed him. And, and again, I'm not wanting to give away too much of the story, but one of Grover Cleveland's, uh, the surgeons who was there, eventually exonerated uh, the journalist. Uh, right, right. Yeah. In fact, I, I, be- I believe it was the surgeon Keene uh, who, uh, who actually saved the tumor. Okay. And then it was in 1917 that Keene uh, finally uh, told the truth. By then, Grover, Grover was dead for nine years. Grover died in 1908, uh, presumably with no recurrence of the, of the cancer in his mouth. And um, and uh, Keene finally in 1917 uh, published an account of the operation in the Saturday Evening Post of all places. But um, that's where he published it. And uh, he did it partly to vindicate E.J. Edwards, the reporter who had been vilified for being a cancer faker, as they called him. And was Edwards alive, actually? Uh, he was. Hard? He was. Uh, Edwards, nice. Edwards yeah. was an old man at the time. Yeah, I think he was... Uh, might have been around 80 keen 
uh, one of the doctors who performed uh, the surgery on Cleveland uh, was was born in like the 1840s. He he served in the he was a Civil War veteran, uh, and then he actually served in the First World War. Oh my and goodness. Then, when he was a very old man, he attended uh, uh, Franklin Roosevelt after he was first stricken with polio. So he had this career that went from, you know, the, the, before the Civil War, you know, he mm-hmm. was a surgeon in the Civil War all the way up to FDR. So it was kind of a, he had a very long life. That's that's amazing. And and I, again, I am so interested to dive into the book. And, you know, with everything that has gone on in recent weeks in our country with, with President Trump, his health crisis, the journalists trying to cover it, it just seems like it's almost a story that's replaying itself a little bit. Yeah, it's been a good couple of weeks for the uh, old presidential health stories, I guess. But uh, <laughs> it's funny how it's funny how similar it is. It really is. But you have to remember, I mean, these guys, A, presidents never want to appear sick. They never want to appear weak. Understandable. Uh, B, they have doctors whose first priority is, of course, to the patient who's the president. And then you have C, we, the public, who I think kind of have a right to know if the president is healthy, Uh, But that conflicts completely with the president's right to keep his health, you know, to to control the the news about his own health. And so you have these, you know, opposing forces always at work. And, you know, it's nothing against Dr. Conley. Any any president's doctor who comes out and says, whatever, you just got to be very, very skeptical about what they they say there. Right. They're they're they are they're. Their patient is the priority. It's not not the public. Well, and and as you were saying with Grover Cleveland and the economy, I'm sure that that could be with with any president in any era. Uh, so, right. yeah. Well, this it's it's a fascinating tale that has so many parts, and obviously the dental connection. And and I'm so thankful that you had a few minutes to hop on and talk about it. And I want to make sure everybody knows uh, the president is a sick man uh, by Matthew Algio. Uh, I I've got my copy right here, and like I said, I'm I'm looking forward to diving into it. And I think it's not only going to be a good history read, but a good dental read as well. And and I know there was one thing that you wanted to get out. Uh, while oh yeah, we were on the yeah, podcast, yeah. So, so I'll let you do that. A couple. Somebody emailed me the other day and asked a good question, and that is whatever. So when uh, when Cleveland after the surgery, he had to be fitted with a prosthesis, a prosthetic device that popped into the roof of his mouth. And what it did, it, it restored the shape of his face, but also it restored his speaking voice. Apparently without any, uh, without this device, his, his speaking voice was almost unintelligible because he was missing so much of his palate. Um, but nobody knows what happened to the, I think it's, it's an or- orbitor, uh, I believe is what it's called, this particular device. And uh, he had one, he had one fitted, I think just two weeks after the operation, but slowly over the next, and he lived uh, seven, like another 14 years, he'd periodically have to have it resized because as the wound uh, healed and got smaller and smaller and smaller, the defect got smaller, and then he would have to have this orbitor resized. So he must have had, I mean, we know he had at least two, but I would imagine he must have had, you know, maybe even every year he had to have these uh, recast and remolded, but none of them have, I've, I've never found one. And I just can't believe that one of the doctors um, 
the postodontist. Is that that what it is? The, yeah, <laughs> the it was, was okay. Was the uh, who who fitted him with these, and he was very happy with them. I have letters, there's correspondence in the Cleveland papers where he corresponded with the dentist who made these things for him. And he loved them. It was and it was amazing. People said you had no, you couldn't tell. His voice was completely unchanged after he had this uh, uh, device. This is like a piece of vulcanized rubber. Anyway. There must be some of them out there. So if anybody has one of those unusual looking things that sort of looks like two false teeth with a little extra bit on it, don't <laughs> throw it out. It, it, maybe it's Grover Cleveland's. That, that's fascinating. It, it really is. And and would you want them to to reach out to you or how would you Absolutely. like to maybe? Yeah. yeah. Okay. It, what's, yeah, what's, just... a, what's a good way if you don't mind uh, giving sure. uh, 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 Malgio.net is my website. Malgio. Malgio.net. But if you just do a search for, for, for the book, you'll, you'll come up with me on the internet. But um, yeah. And I actually, it's, it's, uh, it's funny. I am Facebook friends with Grover Cleveland's grandson, uh, George, and it's one of those funny things where Grover was born in 1830, and then he was 60 and had a son in 1890, and the son uh, was 60 and had a kid in 1950. So, oh my gosh, wow! <laughs> Grover Cleveland's grand, grand grandson isn't even that old, really. I mean, just like you know, compared to us. And so, That's but incredible. I asked him if the if the family maybe had one of these things floating around, but he said no, they don't really have much stuff left. It's been a long time, but yeah. How how amazing though, and and again, I love that you found this story. I love that you brought it to life, and and I think it's going to be such a great read. And again, the president is a sick man by Matthew Algio. Matthew, thank you so much for being on today. I really appreciate. Thank you, it. Kevin. I enjoyed it. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely, and thanks to all of you for listening to this episode of the Dental Assistant Nation podcast. We always try to bring you interesting stories with a dental twist, and uh, we'd love for you to subscribe to us uh, wherever you find your podcasts. And until the next time, Kevin Henry, the co-founder of Ignite DA and the editor in chief for Doctor by Cuspid, signing off, wishing you good health ahead.